We're continuing our study in the book of Isaiah on this Mother's Day. And we are in Isaiah chapter 40. And these are appropriate words for these times in which we live. Let us hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 1. And here I'm reading from the New International Version. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of God. I invite you to join me in prayer. O God of all comfort, we celebrate your presence with us. We need you more than we realize. And thank you for this opportunity to turn our hearts and our minds away from the press of so many distractions to focus on you. Help us to be still in your presence, to, sh to cherish this moment of sacred encounter with you, with your word, your Holy Spirit. Speak to each of our hearts Awaken us to your purpose, your power, and your guiding presence for each new day. We look to you in faith and thank you for your mercy to us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, life is hard and often unfair, and there are times when it seems nothing is going right or nothing is happening at all. And in such moments of exasperation, God comes to us with a word, not a platitude, not a tired cliche. You know, when you're weary, broken, bitter, some things people say come across like rubbing steel wool in your ear. I imagine we've all said something insensitive sometime in our lives, but God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His words are true and can be trusted. And God knows us better than we know ourselves. 
He knows our deepest and truest need. When God speaks a word to us that is just what we need to hear, it's a beautiful gift, a healing ointment, a refreshing drink of living water that revitalizes us. So here we are after 39 chapters of some pretty heavy words of warning and judgment with some incredible prophetic gems mixed in. And now we come to Isaiah chapter 40, where God speaks to his people who frankly were a squirrely bunch, so much so that God gave them a 70-year timeout in Babylon. Daniel is an old man by now. Isaiah here speaks a prophetic word to a future generation that assures everyone in every time in whatever situation, that our God is faithful. He justly disciplines those he loves. He never forsakes his own. And here we see he restores those who are so precious to him. And when we realize this is God's word, not only to that generation, but also to us, we too find hope. So let's look at Isaiah 40 verses 1 and 2. And here I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her hardship is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In 1947, some Bedouin shepherds discovered what we now call the Dead Sea Scrolls. One of those scrolls contains all 66 chapters of Isaiah, written in Hebrew. And this scroll dates a thousand years earlier than any known manuscript at that time. That discovery validated the accuracy of the scriptures handed down to us over the centuries. I, I mention that because the Bible divides Isaiah into chapters and verses. But this early manuscript, like all the earliest ancient manuscripts, don't. Those chapters and verses came much, much later. This ancient manuscript starts Isaiah 40 at the bottom of the column right after the words of judgment in chapter 39. And there's no indication of a break or a new beginning. And what that ancient scroll presents is God's word of judgment, followed immediately by his word of comfort. And it's worth noting the word of judgment is singular, one voice to one nation. The word of comfort is plural, proclaiming to multitudes far and wide the comfort of Almighty God. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is such good news. You know, even though we sin and fall short, even though we don't always act like God's redeemed people, still he calls us his people. He still calls us Jerusalem, even when we are far away in exile. He says, speak tenderly. It literally means speak to the heart. 
like the prophet Hosea speaking to the heart of his wayward wife. Or like Boaz, who dealt mercifully with the foreigner Ruth and offered her protection as she gleaned in his fields to care for her mother-in-law Naomi. God knows our heart and ministers to us at the most profound level. And God's word is, this time of hardship has an end. He goes on to say that our iniquity is pardoned. God sees. God knows. He is a God of justice. And this forgiveness does not come easily or cheap. A price has been paid. Yet it comes to God's beloved as a gift. Now when it says to receive double for all her sins, that needs some explanation. The Hebrew refers to double as in to fold over, to fold in half. In Job 11 verse 6, where the same word is used, it means God's wisdom is two-sided. That is, there are more ramifications beyond what our minds can fully grasp. And so here, this doesn't mean excessive punishment, but rather a thorough dealing with our iniquity and its various effects beyond what we could ask or imagine. It might be helpful to hear double as double redemption for our sins or, or maybe thorough redemption. You see, another aspect of double as folded over, each, as, each half corresponds exactly with the other half. That is, our sins have been atoned for justly, fully, exactly as is necessary. I mean, what a gift and what a gracious God we serve. Let's look at verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now we learn the substance of this comfort that God brings. This highway is not a path for God's people to make their way out of exile back to God's land of promise. No, in fact, it's just the opposite. This is a highway cleared and raised up, straight, unmistakable, for our God to come to us. No matter how desolate or God-forsaken the land in which we now find ourselves, the King is coming for you. And we will see his glory. Glory is a magnificent word that I dare say we probably may be stumped if we were to explain it to a small child or even to an inquisitive friend. So God's glory, we, we think of God's presence with his people in the wilderness, the Shekinah glory cloud that led them through the desert. Moses went up on the mountain to speak with God in that cloud of glory. And he returned with such a radiance in his face that he had to wear a veil. Later, when the angels announced to the shepherds the birth of Messiah Jesus, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and these shepherds were terrified. 
And then Jesus, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, displayed his glory. But also, Jesus' suffering and death on the cross revealed God's glory. As the Son of God atoned for the sin, all the sin of his people. And then when Christ returns, we will see his glory more potently than anyone in all history. Revelation 21 teaches that in the new Jerusalem, there will be no need for the sun or the moon, for the glory of God and of the Lamb will provide such abundant illumination for all nations the world over. Knowing the glory of God that is so magnificent and awe-inspiring that descends to hell to pay the penalty for our sin, and then the power of Christ's resurrection and return in glory is not only a sight to behold, but profoundly emotional as we recognize his greatness and splendor came through servanthood and suffering for you and for me. The path of humility and weakness is actually the way of true strength and enduring victory, the way of glory. You remember when John the Baptist came, he quotes these verses calling people to repent, for the king is coming. And so we turn from sin. We turn from this fallen world to follow Christ. We want to be like him in our character, humility, and servanthood. Let's look at these verses more closely. Verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This voice cries out that we, human beings, are unreliable. Even our best intentions are are fickle, like the flowers of the field. I mean, we blossom under ideal conditions, but let the temperature dip below 32, for example. Yeah, when life is tough, when circumstances are harsh, uh, we don't do so well. Isaiah here underscores that our righteousness is not our doing, but is a gift of God. We can't measure up on our own. Christianity is not, at its essence, duty, but assurance. Our best efforts, our most spectacular accomplishments, are but a flash in the pan. God, however, is eternal, and what he says will stand forever. Verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. These are words of celebration. Friday was VE Day the 75th anniversary of the Allied victory in Europe in World War II. It was a day of celebration as masses of people gathered in the streets to celebrate together the end of that phase of the war, the liberation of concentration camp survivors 
and the end of a murderous regime. Verse 9 is a word of jubilation. Like when Miriam danced with a tambourine and sang of God's victory over Egypt after parting the Red Sea. The word here is, don't be shy. Find the most prominent place and as boldly as and clearly as you can, let people know that God is not far off. Our God has not forgotten us. He does not stand aloof, but he says, he comes and says, behold your God. There is so much in life that we celebrate. It's Mother's Day. We celebrate a mother's love. We celebrate family. In other venues, we some celebrate their favorite author or musical artist. Sports enthusiasts celebrate their favorite team, even though sports are on hold for who knows how long. In the spring, we celebrate blossoms and beautiful countryside, unique birds, butterflies. Right now, we celebrate healthcare workers, and we celebrate others who at personal risk help us obtain essentials during this crisis. But we not only celebrate these people, but we invite others to do so with us. You know, let's all turn on our lights, bang pots and pans, applaud our healthcare workers at a particular time and day. There's something about sharing that experience of praise and celebration that goes beyond expressing praise and actually completes it. You know, you can watch a movie by yourself, but when you watch with someone else who can enter into that experience with you, it is a much fuller experience. Same with a meteor shower or a sunset. And how much more the comfort we have in Christ. We are not only to enjoy the comfort of the gospel, but our enjoyment multiplies as we spread that joy to others. The Geneva Bible of 1560 says of this verse that the perfection of all human happiness is to have God's presence. That is, we are not alone. God is with us. And as we read on, we see how glorious his presence with us truly is. Verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Our God is mighty. He is able. Isaiah is speaking to people who are a hundred years before the exile to Babylon, assuring them before they even go that God will bring them out. This is a reassuring word in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. This lingering time of tr struggle does not have the last word. The Lord comes with might. His arm rules. And while we can apply this to our present struggle, the larger truth of this prophetic word is God's victory over sin, death, and the grave. That is the most important and enduring victory that sustains us in this life and into all eternity. Our God is powerful, but he is also merciful, as we see in verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. 
He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God tends to all the needs of each one of his sheep. He is not only their powerful protector, but also their loving comforter who is present, compassionate, and supportive. It's a beautiful picture of assurance and hope. And hope can seem like something less than adequate for the very desperate situation some find themselves. I get that. Isaiah's words to God's people may not have always registered as intended as they were hauled off into captivity and then as their Babylonian exile extends from years into decades. God's people became disillusioned, wondering if God would ever redeem them, wondering if God had actually abandoned them, if God had forgotten them. And we see how blaming God doesn't look so good on ancient Judah. It's hard to see the same in ourselves. Fortunately, God in his mercy does not respond to us in kind. Rather, God offers his people a word of comfort, a word of hope. Now, there are people who scoff at hope. The ancient Greeks, whose culture and philosophical wisdom remains influential in society today, saw hope as weak, embarrassing actually, that one would put their trust in someone outside themselves, even if that outside source is God. The Apostle Paul understood this very common human perspective, having been schooled in Greek culture as well as his Jewish faith. In Romans 5, Paul shares familiar character benchmarks that his Greek audience would recognize and affirm. Listen, Romans 5, verse 3. He says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And I can hear his audience. Yes, Paul, we're with you. But then Paul takes it to the gospel conclusion. And character produces hope. And his audience goes nuts. No, Paul, what are you saying? You have to be strong in yourself. Man up. You can depend on no one but yourself. But Paul doesn't flinch. In fact, he anticipates such pushback and continues. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, Paul knows the reality of God's power and the inadequacy of even his best efforts. He knows this in his life as well as for all eternity. And so we read in Romans 5 verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, when we didn't have a prayer before a holy God, Christ did what we could never do. Now, we see another list of life's trials that can make us stronger, but ultimately lead us to rely on God's power within us. And you just flip to Romans 8, verse 35, and Paul asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
These are realities that can devastate human beings. But do you see the lifeline Paul holds up for us, for all to see and take hold of? The love of Christ. Ultimately, it's not my strength, but rather the redeeming love of God to us in Christ. And Paul says, verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God is with us. His glorious presence brings comfort, a comfort that reaches into the deepest aspect of our need. Praise be to God. Let's come before him now in prayer. Holy Father, we do thank you that in your mercy you look upon us with compassion, that you sent your Son to redeem us, and Lord, even in our time of struggle and in trial, we look to you and find comfort assurance, and hope. Help us to grow strong in you. Supply what we need for this hour. Be with those that need a, a special touch from you. And to those that don't know you, may they find repentance, forgiveness, and new life in Christ. Come Holy Spirit as you work as only you can. Be glorified in your church. And may we share your light, your radiance, your glory with others, that your joy may be full. We pray this in Jesus' name, and let the people of God say, Amen.